honest conversation about games, life, and belief. Hey everybody, welcome to the Game Church Podcast, an open and honest conversation about games, life, and belief. I am your host, Richard Clark, the managing editor of Game Church, and I am here with Drew Dixon, as usual, the editor-in-chief. Hey, Drew. Hey, how's it going, man? Good. Uh, we actually have already talked, so we know how we are doing. I always feel like that's really weird that we go, hey, how's it going? I'm doing well. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> It's definitely awkward now. <laughs> so every week we invite a special guest to talk with us about life, games, and belief. And this week we are joined by a very special guest, Teddy Diefenbach, who you may it's know. It's me. Hey, Teddy. <laughs> <laughs> and you may know Teddy from... Um, well, a number of things. I think he's probably most well known for an iPhone game where you push people out of the way called Shove Pro. <laughs> um, and then also he's doing a game called Hyperlight Drifter, which yeah. is cool. And then what is the other game you're working on right now? Uh, the other main thing I'm working on is a game called Kyoto Wild, which is a multiplayer brawler type situation. Sweet. And then you also may have seen a YouTube video where he talks about comments and sings about them. Mm. Um, so yeah, which we is, wanted... What? Which is pretty great. Yeah, it's amazing. So we're actually going to talk about that video later on in the podcast and kind of dig deep into where it comes from, um, what part of your psyche it, it originates from. But we want to start by... And, uh, oh, I should also, we should also say that like Hyperlight Drifter is... Looks awesome. It looks incredible. Yeah. I'm... Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's uh, it's cool working on that game, and that's usually like the the first thing people say because largely people have only seen it. They've seen like the trailer, and so um, most people haven't played it. Even though we've taken it, to, we took it to the circuit of GDC and E3 and PAX East this year. But it's great because I can agree and not feel like a jerk. So if, like people can be like, "It looks beautiful," and I can be like. Yeah, I don't do the art, so I agree with you. <laughs> yeah. If I did the yeah. art, I have to be like, oh, shucks. Like, well, Rich and sure. I got to play, like, uh, I, not this last GDC, but the GDC before. Yeah. I guess we got to play uh, what you had of it then. Or was that this last GDC? Oh, it was this past one. It was one. the it was past the one. Okay. Yeah, and it was in the same room. <laughs> Drew, you may remember us talking about this. It was the same room as uh, How Do You Do It? Yes. Oh, Yeah. I didn't play How Do You Do It, but I did play a lot of Hyperlight. So, Teddy, I don't know if you heard in the last podcast, but I told a story about how I played How Do You Do It, and uh, you you figured prominently into this story because I felt weird after I played it, and I feel like everyone in the room, and I even mentioned your name, just kind of looked down, and I walked away awkwardly after I played it. You know, I want to do that more often. (laughs) Like... Like I Rich. actually, well, I met uh, Nina Freeman, who of course made How You Do It with a number of other people mm-hmm. uh, at that GDC, and and I was already planning on going to the event in question, and I I emailed or I called Stu, and I was like, hey, I want to bring a friend because I want to show this game also. So I really liked having that game with us in the room <laughs> in the the upstairs bedroom of that house with Hyperlight because it's yeah. I don't know you want to shake people before you. Yeah, it was perfect. It was yeah, perfect but, for the unwinnable. I think uh, Rich so felt like you were disappointed that he failed to do it no, in the game. No, what I felt like was everyone <laughs> around me was going, he feels weird. And then I was going like, yeah, I feel, we- I feel weird. <laughs> 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 so it was like a mutual acknowledgement of that game church guy feels weird uh, playing this <laughs> sex game. Um, <laughs> it was literally like, okay, we're dwelling too much on this, but it was literally like... I just stumbled into this sex game and was not prepared. <laughs> so that was weird. It's a ba- it was a bait and switch. Yeah. Like, no, it was, just a, really it was mostly just a switch. Mm. Not a lot of bait there. But, um, so anyway. Great. Uh, your work, so tell us a little bit more about Kyoto Wild because I'm intrigued by this idea. It sounds unique to me. Uh, it's getting there towards unique. Uh, the. <laughs> <laughs> the idea is that 
Uh, it's a four-player brawler-type game with one-hit kills where you're running around uh, in this town. And the premise is that you're in the feudal city of Kyoto, but everyone in Kyoto is a retired ronin, so someone who used to be a trained samurai and then ended up wandering around and being a sellsword and then got tired of that life and settled down. And so they all moved into the city and took normal jobs like a fisherman or a shoe salesman or whatever people do when they're not being a samurai in feudal Kyoto. Uh, and so the premise of the game is that um, basically like a fight has erupted and everyone is picking up their old habits and fighting one another, but with non-traditional weapons. So it is a weapon game where you are both using lots of different things at your disposal, like maybe a sword, but also things like uh, knives or a rake or some chopsticks, perhaps. Uh-huh. Uh, and you're moving around the town during the fight. So it's kind of like a traveling and fighting experience akin to a Power Stone for the Dreamcast, if you're um, a Dreamcast fan. I remember that game. Sweet. I remember liking that game. <laughs> so. I, I actually wasn't familiar with it when I started working on this game, and then people started telling me that it reminded it reminded them of it, so then I had to play it, and it, now it's yes. been a great influence. So, so there's now like, you're ripping it off. Mm-hmm. Like, if you win a round, you... you you're kind of trying other people come back into the world as like other inhabitants of this town is kind of the idea. Yeah. The format is like, I'll fight you guys and then I'll beat you because it's my game. And then I get to pick where we go next. So I run onward. I, I decide to go over the bridge. So I go over the bridge and now we're in a new area. And then you guys kind of inhabit the, the characters that are naturally in that area. So there'll be like a guy who's like raking uh, a rock garden and you'll become him, and now you're fighting as him. So you're kind of constantly changing characters. Uh, I'm not, because I'm beating you. Uh, but you, <laughs> right. you, you are. <laughs> cool. That's awesome. That sounds cool. I'm excited yeah, it's to fun. that. It, okay, it's so you don't of... have a release date for that? Uh, no, it's explicitly like my uh, unwinding. I don't know if that's the right word anymore. But mm-hmm. it's my other project. <laughs> it's my yeah, refreshing sure. project. Yeah, um, yeah. Cool. So I probably... Maybe next holiday, but we'll see. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, uh, so we we like to uh, on the Game Church podcast get real in deep about the worldview and beliefs of the people we talk about. We like to have personal conversations about that sort of stuff. So I wanted to start asking you kind of an open ended question that you can kind of take wherever you want, which is, um, what is the sort of um, what would you say are the core beliefs that kind of guide you as a person? Wow. Um, <laughs> well, I, I'll answer as much as I can out of uh, my current brain. Uh, I don't have like a large sweeping, this is the course of my life, but I will say currently... Uh, I'd actually prefer if you could answer it out of your future brain. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm just kidding. I'm fighting against the robot apocalypse. Is my <laughs> <favorite>. <laughs> Uh, actually, I would probably just turn coat and work for them. Oh, um, who wouldn't? Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, that'd be anyway, um, I'm skirting the serious part. Uh, my general—I mean, the reason that I do what I do is that I feel as though I have to do it, and I don't know exactly whether you want to call that a um, a, a calling or just an activity. But it, mm-hmm. there's something about um, existing that feels like the manner in which I exist is making these things and having people experience them. Um, which is not to say, uh, some people will say like, Oh, I want, I want to make things for other people. And I would say that uh, I do care about the people I make things for. And I want to, I want it to be a positive impact on them. I want them to be, if they're going to spend their limited time on my games, I want, or my weird YouTube videos, like I want them to get something out of it. So I don't want to waste people's time. Sure. Uh, but I'm also very much doing it, like, I'll, I will say that it's probably very selfish, the reasons that I'm doing these things. I don't, there's no specific selfishness to it other than that it's what I want to do. I want to speak my voice and whatever that means. 
and have people hear me. That's the Game Church kind of Podcast is sponsored by Christ and Pop Culture, which exists to acknowledge, so appreciate, and think rightly you, about the common knowledge of our age any, through thoughtful, so, okay, long-form articles, like challenging blog posts, and a beautifully illustrated bi-weekly online magazine uh, at ChristandPopCulture.com. No, you can also check out the Christ okay, and Pop so Culture podcast in iTunes to hear our talented contributors reflect on the latest in pop culture three times a week. Um, sometime in college, the very brief history of my uh, religious beliefs or my relationship with, with religion is that I was uh, born and raised Catholic. Okay. Um, my mom's family uh, was very Catholic and my dad's family was also Catholic, but less intensely so. Um, and I did the Sunday school thing. I got all the way through. I graduated to confirmation, so I even have a confirmation name. Mm-hmm. Um, a confirmation name? In the Catholic Church, when you get confirmed, which is sort of the final... Uh, um, thing. Step of your discipleship, kind of. Yeah, what is the yeah. word? Like baptism, those sort of things. Um, uh-huh. uh, when you do the final one, uh, that's like basically becoming an adult. So you do it around the age of thirteen, which is uh, an adult apparently. Uh, <laughs> and you you choose like a name for yourself as like becoming an adult. So largely, you'd end up just like picking your grandparents' name or something uh, as a way to pay homage to them. But it's not really something anyone goes by, but it's just something that you do. Is right. that how the popes get their names? Uh, I don't know. I, we are I like weirdly popes... in- ignorant about Catholic religion. Uh, yeah, I, it's weird. I thought I would have known that, but someone told me recently that like for a um a DJ can't name themselves. Like real cool DJs have to be <laughs> given their name by someone else. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think that's how they do it with the popes. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> same, pretty much same process. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but so I did that, um, and I sort of did it as I was raised, and you know, I uh, didn't dive too deep into it. And then my freshman year of high school, I sort of dove very heavily into Presbyterianism. So I sort oh, of wow. casual or I secretly, or not secretly, I just sort of like receded into converting, uh, which is to say, I stopped going to Catholic church with my family and started going to this Presbyterian church that I was introduced to mm-hmm. through some friends in high school. Uh, and where my 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 best friend uh, still from childhood is uh, someone I met through through doing that. So is he still is he still kind of a, a hardcore Presbyterian or he's not actually. I I I, I want to say that he sort of fell out of uh, of religion before I did. Although they were those two journeys are not connected. Okay. So um, when you when you went from Catholicism to Presbyterianism, was that a conscious choice? Did you kind of weigh the options? And I did. I liked the um, I liked the concept of direct relationship with God. Um, I much preferred that to having to talk to a priest about what I'd done wrong. I'd like yeah. to just kind of say that directly. Yeah. Uh, I much preferred that sort of direct relationship, and prayer became a thing that I that meant more to me, and I valued more, and I. I went very, very uh, intensely into it because, my, in my opinion, like if you're doing something that is as uh, important as claiming that you believe in in a certain faith, like I, I did it very intensely. So I, yeah. you know, took on leadership positions at the in the youth group of my church, and I uh, taught Bible study to like once I was like a junior senior, I was like running Bible studies for some of the younger kids, um, and doing you know I, I've read the Bible cover to cover a couple times. Um, so I, I was like really into it, into the study of um, what it was all about. Yeah. So, so how did that process? What was the process of you kind of like reevaluating those beliefs and going, um, you know, coming out of Presbyterianism? I think that my my process of coming out of it was very parallel. Like it it didn't happen because of an evaluation of my beliefs. It happened because of an evaluation of my my like non-religious beliefs and that sort of passively changed my faith. So to elaborate on that, um, I sort of, I had an on and off relationship within uh, like intense faith in college. My, my freshman year, I was actually at Wake Forest in North Carolina uh, and was part of a men's acapella group called Cairo, which was a Christian acapella group. And so uh, oh, as I was in high school, I was spending a lot of my extracurricular time, you know, doing something that was very directly related to, to faith. Um, um, then I moved... Where, by the way, where did you grow up? I'm not sure if we ever asked oh, that. Oh, I grew up curious. in Washington, D.C., or specifically Bethesda, Maryland, home of Bethesda Softworks. And okay. Me. 
Um, so I grew up around DC, uh, moved around, but in, in the city or around the city itself, never in DC proper, but in Maryland and Virginia. Um, anyway, so, so yeah, then I moved, uh, I transferred to Columbia in New York, so in New York city. And I spent some time with the, the religious or one of the groups there, I think Ivy, not, is that a thing? Um, uh, intervarsity. Uh, intervarsity. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. That's so I did I did some things with that group uh, for a couple of my years there, but on and off, and just not as intensely because I was I guess just lost in in my studies. Um, and so to get to the point, sometime after college, uh, I was evaluating what I wanted to do professionally because I hadn't really I didn't really pay it a lot of mind. I studied what I wanted to study in college, which was computer science and music. Mm-hmm. but without much of a bent towards what that meant. I was just mm-hmm. like, well, these are the things that interest me, and I will hope that they will coalesce into a career. Um, anyway, so I struggled for a couple of years to find out what I wanted to do and what I wanted to do with with my time, because when you come out of college and start working a full-time job, you realize that a full-time job is like at least half of your life for the rest of your life. And so <laughs> yeah. it's kind yeah. of an important thing to figure yeah. out. Yeah. So in the process of doing that, you know, got... Um, very intent and intense on trying to figure out what my contribution to the world would be, what my devotion of my own time would be professionally, uh, and sort of felt like I was playing catch up because I, you know, I was not the sort of person who was vocational from a young age. Um, and at some point, uh, sort of like maybe I can't remember a specific conversation, but being asked about my faith uh, and having kind of been running on cruise control for a long time, I like reevaluated it, and at some point like realized that I just didn't it wasn't a part of my life anymore that um that it didn't just wasn't it just wasn't there I I don't know Hmm. I like I honestly can't tell you what when it happened or what happened specifically I just um yeah I I've, I've actually had this conversation with a number of people in the last week or so because I told them oh I'm doing this podcast and then I (laughs) like do a little preview run of my history with religion because they ask me. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, uh, I don't know. I could keep blabbing on that. I'm not quite sure what to say at that point, but I will say that, uh, like an element of it is that I think I just became intensely like humanist, uh, mm-hmm. in the sense that I very much valued what a person can accomplish. Not that I think that's at odds with, uh, Presbyterianism or, or Christianity, but just for me, it no longer became my core value, uh, or like my core value changed to that, to yeah. to the value of the of the great potential of humanity. And although that's not in conflict with Christianity, it's not maybe the like the driving element or the driving messages, you know. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah, yeah, I think. Well, I was just gonna say, I think certainly, like, as Christians, we would say, like, um, what drives us is to glorify God. Right. Yeah. So. Um, so that's like super annoying to a humanist. <laughs> like incredibly <laughs> annoying. No, it's not annoying. I, you know, I like I said, uh, or I don't know if I, I may have said this before we started, but I, you know, when I was uh, more more deeply religious, like I was very much um, evangelical in the sense sure. I was trying to explain my faith to my friends. So I have no, I have none of the, you know. I don't know what I identify with right now. Sometimes I'll say atheist, uh-huh. but there's sort of a stigma with saying atheist, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. it implies that you're actively, like, hunting down people of, of faith and telling them that all is for naught. Yeah. Uh, but and you it's don't more do that. To, it's well, kind of no, like a Christian saying you're a fundamentalist. Like, there's a real... It's like there's a real uncomfortable weirdness to that phrase, to that word. Yeah, you want to be like, but I'm not that kind of, you know. <laughs> it's tough. I, but I also feel like I have a personal stigma with the word agnostic because agnostic to me sounds like you're not putting the effort in. Like, like. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, yeah. I mean, I know that's not what it is, but to sure. me, it sounds like what many many people say when it's just like, well, I don't think about it. And to me, yeah. I feel like uh, it's true. I don't think about it all the time, but you know your your belief system and thus what you what you think the the world is and whether there's a god and what happens to you when you die those are pretty important things so like yeah. that you can't just not think about so 
if I'm yeah. not engaged with that question, then I don't, I consider agnostic to be a certain degree of exploration. And since I'm currently running out of the assumption, uh, that like when I die, I'm done. Um, that's why I say atheist, but I'm not like, I don't know if there's any sort of practicing habits of a real diehard atheist or anything, but that's just kind of where I fall. Do you most feel, of the time. do you feel comforted by humanism? I've talked to people who feel really comforted by it. When you said that just now, you said, when I die, I'm done. It didn't sound particularly optimistic. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I'm curious well, I mean, if that's what's... something that kind of depresses you. I I would say that like an optimistic humanist is a transhumanist, right? Where it's like, well, when I die, I'm done, but I won't die because technology will save me. You know, okay. like I don't, yeah. <laughs> which I don't. I would love to, uh, well, I don't know if I'd love to live forever, but I'd love to extend my lifespan, but who knows? Uh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm assuming uh, Father Time will get me at some point. Is yeah. that like, that's one of your secret goals with Hyperlight Drifter is to somehow build yourself into the game and perpetua- perpetuate yourself? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like that Johnny Depp movie that came out last year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, dies and they put them in the computer yeah you know it's it's uh uh uh, while we're on the topic um an indication of that i am is that i was driving down the street and this might be also a consequence of living in hollywood but i was driving down the street and i saw this guy who looked like johnny depp and my honest to god thought in my brain was oh oh that can't be johnny depp he died and they put him in a computer (laughs) (laughs) yeah of course. That's interesting. Uh, it's interesting to me that you would say uh, that transhumanism is the only form of optimistic humanism because I feel I've I feel like I've heard and I don't personally buy it for obviously I think but um, one one thing I've heard from other people is this idea that when when they die they're looking forward to it because it will be this great sort of rest from from wow. everything you know what I mean like. Wow. From how horrible the world is, kind I of. guess. Just in, I mean, there's a lot of toil. There's a lot of you know work involved in living. Um, it's really hard to just plain live sometimes, right? Um, and so, it it does resonate with me in some way. But it, but uh, obviously, the finality of it bugs me. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't find any optimism in that. I mean, I can be optimistic about tomorrow or mm-hmm. my life. I'm. So I, I meant optimism in terms of like the uh, perception of like what happens when you die. So, sure. Uh, um, so yeah, I mean, I I think you can be an optimist without being a transhumanist. I just meant transhumanism seems to me like the optimist version of like perception of death for an atheist. Yeah, that interesting. It doesn't have to happen, but uh, yeah. So so you're um. Okay, so uh, Drew, any follow up questions? <laughs> Um, wait, I mean, you mentioned earlier that, like, you kind of, I guess you sort of realized that your, like, your human beliefs were in contrast with, like, your, your spiritual beliefs, I guess you kind of mentioned that. I'm curious if, like, if there's a specific example or, like, what, what, what was, like, a belief that you kind of, like, realized that you believe as a human being that, came into uh, came into contradiction with i yeah i I think it may be a consequence of how intensely i get involved in things that are important to me so right now i'm very intensely involved in the the existence of making games and contributing to theater and all this um and as i said when i was the more like i had a, a deep faith i was very intensely involved in that um and so i think it was more just that the concept of not uh, of my priorities being so heavily on on my work and my concerns over getting done what I wanted to do in my lifetime mm-hmm. uh, and mortality, like that felt, um, while not contradictory, certainly like incompatible with what I had come to understand as a Christian of my existence as a Christian, which is you know uh, framing all of my actions in my life as something trying to glorify God. Um, yeah. And and you know the framework itself of you know the 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 not sexy sort of definition being that like we are 
flawed and thus require the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to to go to heaven, right? That's like mm-hmm. this very important framework that should be fundamental if you are a Christian. And so when I was yeah. uh, very involved, I was very, I did not understand, uh, for example, like some members family were very casually Christian. I didn't understand the concept of being casually Christian because it's so important. Yep. You know, if you yeah. if you believe that, then man, that's a thing. Like, doesn't that inform everything all the time? Like, you can't just kind of do that. Yeah. Seems so so vital and so fundamental. And since my fundamentals had changed, I felt like, well, there's no room for me to be casually this. Like, to casually maybe kind of think about the God that created me. Like, it just I was just I kind of identified that that just, I, you know, it, it wasn't so much that I decided to believe something, it's just I identified that I, I wasn't believing that because it wasn't sinking in deeply enough with me anymore. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. That's fascinating because I kind of agree with that wholeheartedly, what you just said. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I always feel like uh, there there is, like, for me what's really important and one of the reasons that, that I do things like this podcast is because I feel like um, being aware of your of your actual beliefs <laughs> your actual mm-hmm. worldview is like really crucial um i i've always felt that it was really important that people kind of have moments of uh genuine acknowledgement and self-awareness that they like oh this is this is actually what i believe you know what I mean? Um, uh-huh. That's just been really important to me in my life. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. So, yeah, I resonate with what you're saying for sure. Yeah, I mean, certainly the, you know, if if someone is is listening to this podcast, hi, someone, uh, then <laughs> then they're investing time in the concept of thinking about this. You know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, which I mean, I think, uh, you know. A lot of people in our culture, for whatever reason, it seems like, at least it seems this way, like this is a big thing in Christianity, right? There's a lot of people, I think there's a lot of people like what you described as like sort of casual Christians. And, um, you know, I, I think I, appre- I appreciate uh, your the sentiment of just, you know, of saying like, like if you're going to do this, do it, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and, and think about what that means, the implications of it. Um, you know, obviously, obviously for me as like, we probably wouldn't be doing this podcast if we didn't think that was important because otherwise we'd just say like, why have a conversation about it? You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's, it's not to say that one can't be casually Christian. Like I'm not, uh, you know, demonizing or dis- disregarding people who, Oh yes, you are. I'm just oh man. <laughs> I'm just the, the comments are going to have a field day with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I, I, I just think for me, you know, like I think of course, like especially given the premise of, of Christianity that like we are flawed and, and we often fail. And there are so many situations in the Bible where people fall short of like honor of both honoring God and even acknowledging his help or, or presence, you know, like that's a part that can be a part of the, the life of being a Christian is, yeah, you can say, yes, I am kind of casually Christian. I feel bad about it, but I'm, you know, I try to go to church, but I'm busy and uh, we're short on money and we don't, I don't have a job, you know, like I, I understand that, that there are many things that factor into someone's life, but for me, sure, just, yeah. I, it, it, since maybe because it was so important, just the fact that it became so unimportant, I felt like felt incompatible for me. Were you feeling like the weight of like morality or something? Like, were you feeling like you weren't living up to this moral structure that was established? Um, no, uh, no, I don't think that was a driver. Although I have recently, um, you know, uh, been trying to figure that out or think about it. I, uh, um, my, I actually was uh, married for a long time, and I'm no longer uh, as of very recently. And so, uh, in in considering like some of the ways that I failed in that relationship, I think over like ethics and it is and morals, and it's sort of that is something I haven't put a lot of time into is thinking about where I derive my um, morality from outside of things like social contract, because it used to come from my faith. I think, yeah. or, or it used to be grounded in that, or the principles as I got deeper into it in high school became sure. those things that I was learning, and then suddenly I realized, like, oh, I guess if I'm not identifying as Christian anymore, I wonder what my anchor is for morality, like, what makes me a 
good person or, a, you know, in my own mind? Or how, right. how does that, how do I evaluate yeah. myself? And that's a, a very difficult concept. Yeah, that's interesting. Especially when you, you know, do things like participate on Twitter or <laughs> or just look to, to friends for support. You know, you can very quickly start to evaluate your morality based on whether people like you, and that's poisonous. Mm, yeah. 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 Interesting. So, um, so yeah, let's, speaking of what your friends think about you and what people on the internet think, let's talk about your, uh, video that you did, which we're going to listen to first. We're actually going to listen to the song. Here it is. That's what I always do And I see a mention that I got mentioned in Kotaku And now I'm reading this piece And it's pretty positive Just talking about weapons and a screenshot from my press kit And I'm feeling pretty fine Like this is worth my time I even read the part Compliment my art And then I start to think about reading the comments Although that's opposite what I advise my friends. So I first read this comment by user Dark Souls Babe. She says I want to play this. Sounds like Bushido Blade. And Eco-Lover 12 says Hyperlight Drifter rules. And I'm thinking, man, my job is pretty freaking cool. Wait, wait, scroll down. Here's one written by Ground Pound. He says, is this it? This game is total shit. We don't need another sword game. Samurai gun is better anyway. Shit, fuck, shit, fuck, shit. Now I'm gonna comment. And now I'm in this dark place. And I'm feeling in a panic. Why Kotaku readers can't appreciate my core mechanics. So I type up, hey ground pound, please think a little bit. Samurai gun rocks, but my game is really different. He says it looks like N64. I say N64 is cool. He's like retro games are lame. I'm like, dude, you're being a fool. God damn it. I need to talk to a friend now. So I sign on to Skype and my friend Maya calms me down. And I talk to Alex about live streaming Super Mario RPG. And then decide some work would be really, really good for me. And so I power through and drink some and I sit back down and I open up my unity Now I'm amped up like there's a problem with my controls and I'm gonna solve it I won't let some kid in his bedroom ruin my night with the comments I'm scrolling through Xamarin Studio and I'm looking through my code And I find a bad if statement and it totally fixes my sword throw And I replace a face over cube with a rad model of a frog I'm polygonal and shit, and I'm proud of it, but I still feel a little off, but I start to forget it, and really spend my hard work, I don't need any comments, validation from some jerk, you get told in the comments, there's no good in the comments, I'm not good in the comments, oh hey look a new So yeah, you wrote an entire song about comments, which... Weirdly, when I when I uh, watched that video, it seemed pretty uh, like a really valid thing to to write an entire song about. At this point, uh. we live in an age where internet comments play uh, significantly into people's lives. I think, um, especially if you do things that you create things that find a home on the internet. So you're certainly one of those people. And one thing that struck me about this video is that it's it's not so much even about I mean I'm sitting here tell you what it's about it is about internet comments but it's also just about like this self-conscious sort of uh the self-conscious act of creating and like how how self-doubt the role self-doubt can play in that and uh that was the part I related to a lot so yeah. um yeah it was uh it became really important to me. If I'm being honest, the the premise or the, the reason that I started this as a project a long time ago was 
someone said to me, someone confessed to me that they hadn't seen R. Kelly's Trapped in the Closet. Uh-huh. And so, so I, so in an, in an effort to enlighten them and also in an effort to have a weekly activity in our, in our studio, I started like a weekly one episode a week screening on Friday nights of one of the episodes of Trapped in the Closet. And it was fun. And I just remember at some point promising my friend uh, Casey, who works on me with Hyperlight, uh, he's, I said, like, I'm going to, next time we do a talk series, I'm going to do a talk to the tune of R. Kelly, uh, which, um, so then I, so I actually chose the song before I chose the subject matter. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, awesome. it's, uh, but that also wraps very directly into what you're talking about, what you're sort of saying it's about, because uh, my main creative outlet before I made games was singing. So I, I, uh, I majored in music and computer science, but but honestly, I took more classes in music in college, uh, and and studied took voice lessons for a little over ten years. And so, way before I thought I was any good at making games, that was the only thing I could cling to as something that I felt like I was good at, aside from studies. Like I was a pretty good student in terms of grades and all that. Um, so, it was also an effort for me to kind of step back into that world after burning out on it, and like sing something and put it out there and just like have that be a form of expression so anyway yeah it it, it, at some point i felt like oh uh i want to talk about reading comments because it kind of sounds like closet and also something that matters to me (laughs) (laughs) yeah so um so how how uh accurate is the video to to your actual experience of making games and then reading what people say about them on the internet? It's pretty... I mean, other than the fact that the specific comments and article in question in the article are fictional, like, it's pretty directly accurate. Like, I um, have had the experience of, you know, having different games written about on the various sites, Kotaku included, um, and then I've had a couple bad circumstances of actually trying to engage with commenters and hoping that they would like like i thought man i didn't like there wasn't time in it for me to get into this part of it but i thought like man i'm the fact that i'm showing up and like talking to the people you know it's (laughs) like that counts for something right (laughs) i would think so right like oh man like this guy wants to know what we think that's cool like this is our opportunity to provide like nice feedback or i don't know it so when someone's like mean or just like doesn't take the time to be courteous or is like doesn't listen to you, it's just it, it bites a little harder. I feel like, well, what am I? What am I doing? Why am I engaging with you? Like, I want to like you, you know? Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, the in in recent weeks, like the, the Twitter and the internet hasn't been such a great place in terms of the dialogue. And it's like I've I've talked to a number of other developers about that struggle. It's like we make games for other people. Yeah, and when you think about sometimes like the maybe the most blamed demographic being like teenage boys, you know, when you think about like uh, people playing online shooters and like teabagging people and just generally being uh, uh, misogynists or bigots or something, like you, you think about kids who who have an anonymity and 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 so we talk about how like man, I love teenagers, like they play games so much, they love video games. <laughs> and they put so much more energy into them than like than I have time for, than anybody else has time for. They're awesome, super fans. Yeah. But like and I wanna like them, you know, and so like I wanna engage with them in positive ways and so it just it's like we try to. We try to respond on Twitter, we try to duck into comments. You just have to be careful because uh It's a dark it's, place sometimes. Yeah, it's it's tough. I mean they're on one hand they're reading an article about your game, so they are paying attention to you, which is like, wow, thank you for paying attention to my work. That's what I'm, that's what I want. Right. Um, but at the same time, you want them to like you or at least engage with you positively. So yeah. it who can be that, disruptive. Who do you, uh, who do you make games for at this point? Like, who are you hoping to hear from specifically when you make a game, like, and you're holding your breath to see what the, the, the feedback is? What are you, where are you hoping to hear that from? Uh, I do, I do like sort of the general positivity. So like when we took Hyperlight to PAX East a few months ago and people would just say, I love this game. So excited for it. Like that's not, it's not constructive feedback, but it's valuable to me. It like, it feels good. It feels affirming. Yeah. Um, 
when it comes to releasing, like my creative <clears throat> goals are that, uh, you know, I hope that Hyperlight Drifter does well and and makes some money, so we can have some money because it'd be nice to have money for once. But uh, <laughs> I also hope that it is critically received well. That it's not just oh that game that did well on Kickstarter and that game that a bunch of people bought, but like uh, that we do something that's valuable, whether that be as lofty as some sort of real catharsis or something with the the way we tell the story, or whether that just be some design decisions that people that resonated with people or that were powerful. I I don't know who that's for. I mean, I think it's for me, but it's, it's, it's just tied into my wanting to feel like I matter. And like, I, I'm doing something that, that like, I'm spending my time doing something that uh, isn't a waste. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think like, uh, I think we all, I think like, I wouldn't say obviously rich and I don't make video games, but as, (laughs) as people who write about them, and try to write about them in a way that's meaningful, uh, especially like in Christian circles. I think Richie can probably identify with this, yeah. At least, but like, there's just this constant struggle to like go to, especially like the Christian folks who occasionally read what I write about video games. Mm-hmm. Um, to go like, no, this actually matters. Like, you don't understand. <laughs> like, there's yeah. that constant like. Um, uh, you know, because I guess for me, in a lot of ways, I've probably had more positive like feedback for my writing, um, my criticism of, like, and I mean that like in a positive way, criticism, my games criticism or whatever from non-Christians. Interestingly enough, um, yeah, just because I think they're more readily able to see the value of it in a weird way. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, like, I have the most. You know, I've been writing. More seriously for for several uh, how how many years has it been? Maybe like five years, and um, I I really struggled with this this question of like audience and and what what fulfills me and what it, what should rightly make me feel bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I spent a long time like really getting depressed. And I to be honest, I still get really depressed when an article is not noticed to me that's the uh. worst the worst <laughs> possible thing so i resonate teddy when with you when you're talking about like it's good that they're even talking about this to me like if everyone hates my article if everyone reads it correctly and just goes this is bullcrap like <laughs> at least i can be like well i got them thinking and i'm clarifying their beliefs <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> um yeah i've yeah, done con- something at least yeah, the concept of attention is interesting. I, I think uh, this can apply to writing, but uh, at least with writing, you are projecting your specific opinions. Like it's mm. it's how you would speak. You know, you're saying you're trying to tell people something and have yeah. them hear it, and, and hopefully there's a direct correlation with a game or something like. So Kyoto Wild is a good example because it's a game that I've uh, tried to use as like sort of an escapism or something I can just work on, and I just make a lot of the decisions based on what I personally like. It is just a reflection of the things that I like put into a game. Mm-hmm. And so there's no message in the game. Like there's an aesthetic and there's a tone I'm going for and there's some goals I have for it from a design point of view. But this, you know, it's not like writing an article and having people read it and then understand. And so to me the concept of attention when it uh relates to creation is sort of this idea in my brain that like uh, I am a I am a a sum of the things that have influenced me or that I have experienced. You know, like sometimes uh, mm-hmm. you'll hear people say in relation to like your skills as a professional or your career that uh, no one is is identical to you. You have a unique collection of experiences, and even mm-hmm. if you've bounced around in careers, you have a unique set of skills. You know, so I like to think of that not just in terms of skills and profession, but in life, like the games that I've played, the things that I've seen. That's that's who I am, and if I'm making something that is a non-specific form of communication, like a game, what I'm I guess I'm trying to do to to exist is take all the things that have impacted me and project them back outwards with at least as much volume as they hit me with, you know, mm-hmm. like and yeah. hopefully more. Hopefully, I am uh, taking the being that is me and amplifying it as much as I can to make me feel like I don't know, like life is that I'm I'm providing value to myself or that I'm doing this right or I'm living this right. So um, what, what's the, the value to that? Is it, 
is it mostly personal to you, the value in doing that? Or, you know, what does uh, that, that look like in terms of the people who would, like, play your games? Um, yeah, to me, to me, it's very personal. And it's, um, well, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I, like, like the, the, the reason that I, Kept so I started working on Kyoto Kyoto Wild like a year ago or more than a year ago, very casually while I was doing other things, while I was making uh, Shove Pro that iPhone game and a couple other iPhone games with my former studio Red Dragon. And uh, at a certain point, um, when Alex Preston invited me to to be on the Hyperlight team uh, when the Kickstarter was just jumping off, um, I I put that aside. I decided this was the best thing I could do, and it was an opportunity. And so I wanted to work with these people. Um, and the reason that I kept going with Kyoto Wild was that I needed to feel like I could still do it myself. Uh, that I had been working as an independent game designer for almost two years and felt like, uh, though we had released a number of games and done okay, felt like I had failed to succeed in, in my definition of the word. You know, failed to like yeah. make, a, make a console game on my own like that, that was out of my own brain. So mm-hmm. while while Hyperlight Drifter has a lot of me in it, and you know I'm one of like the four full time people on it, so there's a lot of my choices and design decisions and story decisions in there. Uh, it is someone else's brainchild, and I will always defer to Alex in terms of the vision for the game. Like I I enjoy projecting his vision and supporting that. So having a game that is still uh, more by definition me is like an important part of my process of growth uh, mm-hmm. towards something. I don't know what that is, though. Yeah, that's so interesting, because I feel like there was a period of time there where th- the the status quo was that you're making games for someone else. Uh, mm-hmm. Kind of by... Uh, in you're, you're making games, games with a lo- usually a large group of people, right? Like... Um, yeah these sort of triple-A experiences as we've come to know them now, but even back in, like, the Sega Genesis Super Nintendo days, like, those games weren't indie games. Those weren't, like, one guy coming up with a thing. Those yeah. were Those were created by committee. And, yeah, it's interesting because I think um, now when you start... When you start allowing... Just the simple act of saying, okay, you can do this alone or with just a few people... Like that simple act has caused games to start to feel um, a lot more uh, personal and, yeah. and have a lot higher stakes in terms of uh, personal relationship with those games. Right, and I was wondering, I was thinking about because as we're talking about it, I was thinking like, in some sense, like as a Christian, it feels that feels almost like like wrong in a sense, and I'm not saying it is. I'm just, does? I'm just like to say, like I'm gonna make, I'm gonna make this game because I want it to, uh, for personal reasons. Like, mm. you know what I'm saying? Like, as yeah. as Christians, we're always like trying to tell each other, no, we should be thinking about, we should be thinking about the glory of God. We should be thinking about our neighbor. You know, everything we should do should have like should bless our neighbor. But yeah. but that whole like, pro- I think like the idea of like we we're making games for other people has produced a lot of, like, kind of rote, um, predictable games in a lot of, in a lot of ways. And, like, the fact that there are people out there like you, Teddy, and, and, and some other guys we've had on this show, um, like we had Steve Gaynor on recently, are making these, well, I'm not that that, not that Gone Home is personal to Steve Gaynor, but he made mm-hmm. a game that was very personal, that was the game he wanted to make. He made it for himself in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. And and the result of that is some really fascinating, I think, really powerful games that are actually having a greater impact on the people who play them, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think, well, if I were to, um, and I don't know why I'm doing this, but I, I like to do exercises and thought, like if I were to respond uh, from a, uh, a Christian point of view to the thought that making a game for yourself is maybe... Uh, maybe not contradictory, but somehow like not in line with the idea of helping others and being selfless uh, and the values of Christianity. Like, they're they're uh, while it's not necessarily something that I've uh, uh, picked up. Like, I think there is a way to frame uh, a a, uh, a belief in Christianity or in God 
with the idea of wanting to do great things or wanting to be great uh, mm-hmm. in an inward-focusing way. I mean, it you have to be careful because selfishness and pride and ego are things that are, are not, you know, Christian qualities and have negative con- consequences to those around you. Um, but it's also like, ev- you know, if every person is God's creation and everyone's experience is this plan that God has created for them, then why can't you embrace that and do your best with it and be proud of it and want yeah. to, yeah. That, you know, I have more control over me than I have over anyone else. So yeah. uh, tr- trying to help others in a more direct way uh, is very admirable and, and something that is, you know, very like uh, boosted up by by Christian values. But but trying to, and, and, and this sounds almost apologetic in a way, and I guess it is. But to to say like, yeah, I just want to be, re- I want to do really great things. I want people to care. I want people to play my games. I want them to know who I am. There, there's a lot of ego in that, and there's a lot of like, uh, I don't know, confidence issues. But. <laughs> But it's also like, well, if I'm, you know, if I'm, if the work that I produce and the messages I put out are, uh, at, at best beneficial to people and at worst or at the least just inspiring or stimulating, then yeah, I'm, I'm doing something right. I'm glorifying God in some way. Yeah. You know? Right. Yeah. The Game Church Podcast is sponsored by Christ in Pop Culture, which exists to acknowledge, appreciate, and think rightly about the common knowledge of our age through thoughtful, long-form articles, challenging blog posts, and a beautifully illustrated bi-weekly online magazine at ChristinPopCulture.com. You can also check out the Christ in Pop Culture Podcast in iTunes to hear our talented contributors reflect on the latest in pop culture three times a week. I was just going to say, I think that's exactly right. And we could probably spend like another hour talking about a Christian ethic that supports that argument. But I think the best uh, example, the best thing to do is kind of point at the example of someone like Ryan Green and Josh Larson, who are, mm. who are being very, uh, they're, they're Christians, they're very upfront about that, and they're, um, they're always providing sort of like this mo- this uh, out this motivation for why they're doing what they're doing, mm-hmm. but what they're doing is very personal and very yeah, yeah. unique to them. Um, I'm for I guess I should say I'm talking about a game called That Dragon Cancer in case in case you haven't heard of it. So if you want to look that up, um, but basically like their their game is could not be made by any other person. Right. And certainly wouldn't have been made in the way that it's being made if they had sat around and thought about, like, focus grouping and, you know, stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, yeah. And we should say that game is... That Dragon Cancer is a personal story game about um, a child's battle with cancer that's that's real. Ryan Green's son died of cancer recently. Um, so that's the real experience that he's gone through that he's, you know, um, expressing that story in this, in this game. Right. Um, so, so yeah, that's I, kind of an extreme example of like a personal game, but I think that it extrapolates really nicely, uh, into other ideas and other concepts and even. Yeah. Cause as Teddy was talking about that, it just made me think about how I think a lot of times maybe that idea of like. I can't do these things for myself. It can't be personal. Um, I think maybe paralyzes some some people, or yeah. I think some Christians, you know, from like doing something that would act actually keeps us from loving our neighbor in a way because yeah, yeah, um, we've we you know we we've sold ourselves. It's it's a it's it's a false humility um, that that kind of lends. Is actually prideful in a sense because it keeps us from um, using the gifts that we have to be uh, in a personal way that would be a blessing. You know, if we if we went out there and said it and and just said it and said we don't care, if, we're not too worried. We're not going to let the comments like <laughs> get to us too much or whatever. Yeah, I don't I don't envy Ryan like a. Uh... Ryan and Josh are both good friends. I met them a couple of years ago uh, mm-hmm. at GDC, and and I, I talk to Ryan every day, largely because we participate in a thing together called uh, Render a Sketch Game, which is yeah. like a exercise in making art in ten minutes, and then uh, like trying to flex your art muscles. But yeah, I don't envy that. I mean, I I I've talked to 
at length already about how my process of trying to create something and caring about that. And I, you know, talking to Ryan, I know that he has to balance that. Like he has to balance the fact that he could do something else with his time, uh, Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, maybe make more money, maybe support his family more, uh, Mm -hmm. because this, this stuff is hard. And, and, um, and when you're creating something, it's so hard and it takes so much out of you when, you know, in Ryan's situation, like you're already, he already has to be so strong that, um, yeah. I know, or I assume, uh, although I haven't talked to him about this that I can remember, like that he has to find space to feel proud and to feel happy mm, and to feel yeah. rewarded about making a game that, you know, whose subject matter is about something tragic, you know, and yeah, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. and, and avoid you know, the idea of like, well, are you going to start feeling guilty for, you know, if he, if they sell the game, it makes a lot of money. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. How do you feel about that? And, and that's, that's just part of the balance you have to achieve. It's like, well, I don't know. I, I'm trying to make something good. And, and I also would love to have money. Sure. Like I, that's, it'd be nice for me and for my family. And, 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 and how do you balance that? The, the concept of creating something. And I mean, mm-hmm. creation is such a, this has so many implications with Christianity, right? Like the, the just the word creation like has a lot of uh, evokes a lot of things. So talking about being a creator in yourself, like while it you know is not the same as uh, God the Creator, like that's the same word. Like there's something about that about like yeah. bringing something into existence where there's an amount of ego you have to check and also allow yourself to feel good about and and uh, it's a yeah. very difficult balance. I don't I don't envy it for Ryan and, and certainly not for Christians. Yeah, definitely. I think to some degree, I mean, we were created to create. Uh, we, we, I think that's a part of being created in the image of God, and that's something that flows out of us, and it's in, inherently good. That's kind of the way I think of it. Anytime I'm writing a thing that doesn't really mean much, you know what I mean? In the, in the first glance, like I just think like it's good that I'm making a thing for other people um, yeah. that will bring something, I guess. So, um, yeah. Well, how does it... Can I can I turn it around? I'm curious. Like, yeah. from your perspective, like you guys both like do writing uh, in a number of venues. You know, g- game church is not your only endeavor, mm-hmm. or hasn't historically been your only endeavor. And so, like, th- what are the different things you get out of doing those two kinds of work? Like doing something that you created that you are curating, and that is much more uh, exclusively or directly your voice versus something that you may be writing for someone else or on assignment or, or what have you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For uh, me, I'm, I'm a big fan. Like I had a column at unwinnable for a while called the Naval gamer <laughs> because mm-hmm. I was really big on personal writing. And, and I know a lot of people have opinions about personal writing and it's gone too far. It's hurting writing in general. But for me, like that's the most rewarding stuff. And I feel like it's because the uh, exactly what you said like the th- or i don't know we said it i don't remember who said it but the things that are happening yeah you said it the things that are happening to us are happening for a reason i think and th- those those are meant to be shared you know i it's, it's weird to me that we would feel the need to hold that close to the vest somehow and i think it it helps people feel less alone i'm justifying it now by me you know but uh i think <laughs> in and of itself like that stuff is really valuable um, obviously it has to be good. And that's the real question is what is good writing? Um, that's, that's the question that, that I have to consider all the time. But, um, that's the stuff that fulfills me the most. Like this, this, yeah. And as far as like stuff on assignment, I find that pretty fulfilling too, because I, I just, I feel pride in a job well done, I guess, if I do it well. Um, but that it doesn't give me the sort of lasting satisfaction that I get when I write a personal piece and it clicks with the audience. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. It's interesting because when you said that, I thought, well, most of the time I feel like I'm writing. Like what we talked about earlier, I feel like I'm writing in some sense. Like a lot of the writing I do is like intended the to help Christians um, think through something I'm thinking about most of like the non-games writing that I do, yeah. and so then then the games writing stuff that I do um, is actually, interestingly enough, maybe the more personal stuff that I write, and I think maybe it ends up being some of the most like 
um, powerful writing that I've done in the past. Mm. Yeah. Um, I think you can be more honest in that context, right? Yeah. There's a sense in which you have to be a little guarded and you have to put on this show of authority. Yep. When you're trying to tell people how to be, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. And so yeah. Uh, when you're writing about games, you just write about how you feel about a game and your experience with it. So Right. Yeah. That can be powerful. Yep. Yeah. And it's um, it maybe even at times more loving because, or I wonder about this because I think sometimes like when I write articles for like Christ pop culture or whatever, and I'm, it's, I'm a lot of times I'm writing because I'm like, Christians are just being stupid about this thing. And so like, <laughs> I've got to like set the record straight and help them stop being so dumb about <laughs> Ferguson or something, you know, um, that I'm fired up about. Um, and so, you know, uh, I, sometimes the most, uh, this is just me thinking out loud, but I think sometimes the most loving thing we can do is be really honest about like our personal, our personal struggles, our personal experiences. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think in all of this, there is an element of, uh, like allowing your experience to be personal and to project that. And, and I think like, on the topic of pride, which is often framed as a negative thing, I think that mm-hmm. pride becomes bad when it is exclusive. Like when you take exclusively pride in your own work or in yourself, uh, and not pride in other things. Cause I think it's, I think it's okay to take pride in your work. Like mm-hmm. when you, when, in, when it's used in that sentence, take pride in your work, it sounds fine. Then when you say, Oh, he's prideful, it sounds bad. But, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm proud of the work that I do. And I'm also very proud of the work that the members of my of the hyperlight team do like when I'm working with Bo and we're coding something and we do something really good. Like I'm, I'm very proud of, of him. And I think that's, um, it's a tough thing to, to try and suss out. There, there is, there is a line I'm going to, uh, warning really trite quote alert. (laughs) Um, there is a line in the trailer for the James Franco film. Uh, I don't even know what it's called. Uh, the wizard of Oz movie. Yeah, that they did uh, like last year. I don't know if it was called the Wizard or whatever. There's a line he says early on where he says, uh, um, "I don't want to be a good man. I want to be a great man." And it's a really like I think about that a lot. It's a very interesting phrase to me because yeah. it yeah. it gets right at the conflict between uh, the values that we apply to good. Like mm-hmm. selflessness, like helping others, and va- and and what we think of when we think of a great man, which is well, in the in the way that he said it, it's more like I don't want to be known for being uh, nice. I want to be known for being impressive. Yeah, um, and and that is a balance that you have to do with with any self expression. Is like you need to find a way to take pride in your work because it's very draining, and you need to refill that tank. And there's a reason that you're doing it and not doing an easier job because there are easier jobs that pay better and that are take less of your time. Yeah. Uh, and you also have to find a way to support others. You know, like I've I've found myself with the uh, premature success of Hyperlight to have a little bit more energy to give to others and go to shows like uh, when I was at E3 this year and just put more attention to other people's games. You know, when I was at GDC, I I latched on very directly to Nina Freeman's games and to how do you do it and to her game Ladylike and I put a lot I put some of my energy into just wanting to tell people about those games uh, because I I found a certain amount of grounding in my own early successes and 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 you know I try to do my best to help other developers too and I don't know if that's uh, out of empathy or out of trying to balance pride with pride of myself with pride of my friends you know but there's some balance to be found. Yeah, that's a good that's a good place to close on. I think. Um, yeah, uh, Teddy, thanks so much for joining us. We really enjoyed this, or I did. I don't know. I can't speak for Drew, but I enjoyed. <laughs> yeah, I, enjoyed I really enjoyed lot. it, and um, I would encourage our readers to, if you haven't, like, get online, check out uh, Hyperlight Drifter. Um, Definitely and, get online. Yes, and Kyoto and Kyoto Wild. Kyoto Wild looks really cool to me. I'm excited about it. Um, Thanks. I'm, I'll I'll be showing actual like footage and actually putting the game in front of people uh, in a couple months. So yeah, Sweet. you know. Well, and and I think I mean, you know, I don't want to project too much, but I think I think uh, Hyperlight Drifter is going to be a big deal. It's going to be something people want to pay attention to. So uh, I'm I'm excited about 
all your projects. So really happy to have you on the show. Yeah. Thanks a lot. It's, this has been good. This has been positive. Cool. So thanks for listening to the Game Church Podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, please spread the word on Twitter, Facebook, and especially on iTunes by rating and review us. You can send us any feedback or questions uh, to drew at gamechurch.com. Um, and check out any, you know, check out our cool articles and stuff at Game Church. <laughs> I totally missed that line. Uh, at gamechurch.com. And you can join the Game Church community by searching for Game Church City on Facebook. Our producer is the inimitable Cray Allred. <laughs> you can check out his pa- podcast, his podcast. I am losing it, losing. Oh my gosh. It's like, have you guys seen that episode of Say by the Bell where Zach drinks lemon juice and then tries to sing the school song? So that's, what? that's how I feel right now. I don't remember that one, actually. Okay. Well, he goes, bibbidi boo, Um So our podcast producer is Cray Allred. You can check out his podcast, Sunday Old School, where a love of Jesus informs a love of hip hop. That's Sunday Old School with a, and School with a K. So. Look that up on iTunes. It's cool. Um, We'll see you next time. See ya.